Friday, May the 21st, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, ceasefire in Israel and Palestine and China's crypto hotline. First, the world in brief. After 11 days of fighting, Israel and Hamas agreed to a ceasefire. The truce had been proposed by Egypt, acting as an intermediary, and took effect during the early hours. Fighting began after Palestinian protesters clashed with Israeli police near the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. At least 230 people in Gaza and 13 in Israel have since been killed. The reprieve is unlikely to last. Since Hamas took control of Gaza in 2007, the two sides have fought four wars and several smaller battles. Neither is prepared to coexist peacefully with the other. Officials in Inner Mongolia, a Chinese province, established a hotline for residents to report anyone they suspect of mining cryptocurrencies. The move is part of a broader crackdown in China, where the government yesterday warned financial institutions not to accept cryptocurrencies. The country is currently trialling its own digital yuan. Mining, which requires computers to solve mathematical problems, consumes vast amounts of energy. The Biden administration proposed that a minimum global corporate tax rate be set at 15%. America put forward the plan during the latest round of tax negotiations at the OECD, a mostly rich country club. It wants to deter companies from shifting profits into low-tax jurisdictions. American multinationals book more foreign profit in Bermuda than in China. Mr Biden plans to raise America's corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%. America's House of Representatives voted by 213 to 212 for a plan worth $1.9 billion to boost security at the Capitol. Yesterday, the House backed plans for a commission to investigate the Capitol riots of January 6th. Both bills, favoured by Democrats but shunned by most Republicans, have little chance of passing the Senate, where the two parties have an equal number of seats. Profits at Tencent surged by 65% year-on-year to reach 47.8 billion yuan, $7.3 billion, in the quarter to the end of March, thanks to rising demand for online gaming. Revenue at the Chinese tech giant grew by 25% year-on-year to hit 135 billion yuan. However, fears of a crackdown by Chinese regulators on its tech giants have called investor interest in the firm. WeWork lost $2.1 billion in the first three months of 2021, four times as much as in 2020. Lockdowns last year paralysed the market for renting and sharing office space. A payoff for Adam Newman, its erratic co-founder, also cost it dear. Before an IPO attempt in 2019, the firm was valued at $47 billion. Documents prepared for a second attempt value it at just $9 billion. A Dutch court ordered Carlos Ghosn, the former chairman of Nissan and Renault, to pay Nissan and Mitsubishi nearly 5 million euros, $6 million of his salary. Mr Ghosn was seeking 15 million euros in compensation for wrongful dismissal. He was fired by Nissan after Japanese authorities accused him of financial misconduct in 2018. He denied the claims and, while on bail, fled Japan for Lebanon, reportedly hidden in a musical instrument case. And fact of the day. Over the 56 years of Warren Buffett's stewardship, Berkshire Hathaway's shares have enjoyed a compounded annual gain of 20%, double that of the S&P 500 index, including dividends. And now, here's today's agenda. Building back better. Joe Biden meets Moon Jae-in. 
Today's meeting at the White House between the presidents of America and South Korea is intended to strengthen an alliance that had come under strain during the Trump administration. The two leaders will present a harmonious front, but they are after quite different things. Moon Jae-in, who has less than a year left in office, wants to persuade Joe Biden to join a last-ditch diplomatic effort to push North Korea to resume negotiations about denuclearizing the Korean Peninsula. On these, Mr Moon has staked his legacy. He also wants America to help South Korea secure jabs to accelerate its sluggish COVID-19 vaccination campaign. Joe Biden, for his part, is most focused on getting Mr Moon to join America's efforts to contain China. America has foreign policy priorities beyond North Korea, and South Korea remains wary of alienating China. The two may find common ground on vaccine supplies, but making headway on security cooperation will be harder. All eyes on COVID-19. The G20's Global Health Summit. Today, the G20 group of countries convenes virtually for its Global Health Summit. This year, it focuses on the lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic. The group expects to unveil a, quote, Rome Declaration, packed with ideas designed to help prevent future pandemics. It will also hear the outcome of an independent investigation into the World Health Organization's handling of COVID-19. Those investigators concluded that too many countries moved too slowly to limit the virus's spread, and so failed to prevent many otherwise needless deaths. Ahead of the summit, Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission, said that health should be a, quote, global public good. But it is often not where patent law is concerned. This month, the Biden administration said it would support a waiver of intellectual property protections for COVID-19 vaccines in the hope that production of vaccines could increase in poorer countries. But a leaked document seen by Reuters suggests that the G20 instead favours, quote, patent pooling, whereby vaccine makers voluntarily share their patents. It's Mario time? Italy's presidency. They're off, but they have a very long way to go. Italy's president, Sergio Mattarella, this week signalled the start of a race to replace him that will last until his mandate expires next February. Declaring he was old and eager to retire, Mr Mattarella quashed speculation he might stay on for a second, abbreviated term. That matters, for if Mario Draghi is to fulfil his ambition of becoming head of state, he will need to resign as Prime Minister in about eight months. That will halt the work of a government many are hoping will turn around the Euro area's weakest big economy with sweeping reforms. Mr Draghi may have enough time for their introduction, but, the fear is, not enough for their implementation. His departure could also trigger a general election, and, with a nativist-populist right-wing alliance leading the polls, any such reforms Mr Draghi manages to pass could easily be undone. Back to the future. Argentina and COVID-19. This week, a sudden wave of COVID-19 infections swept over Argentina. Daily new cases and deaths have broken records. Now, the government has announced urgent restrictions to shut down the country for a long three-day weekend and impose new rules nationwide until the end of May. Only essential shops, supermarkets and chemists will be allowed to open. Gathering in groups will be banned and a nightly curfew will be strictly enforced. President Alberto Fernandez, in a last-minute appeal to all 23 provinces, plus the capital city of Buenos Aires, persuaded both supporters and opponents to join the national lockdown. At the 11th hour, provinces such as Mendoza, 
Cordoba and Santa Fe in Argentina's heartland, agreed they would not write their own rules and would instead abide by the government's decree. Still, the tension between the federal government and the rural hinterland persists. Today, Argentina's meat farmers launch a week-long strike in protest at the government's ban on exports of Argentina's famed beef, a strategy to keep prices down amid steep inflation, which is heading towards 50% this year. That may mean yet another upset for Argentines alongside the latest lockdown, a shortage of beefy steaks. Footnotes What our United States editor is reading A year ago, Derek Chauvin knelt on George Floyd's neck until he stopped breathing. There is little doubt about what killed him. Police violence was a part of it, as was poverty, but the real culprit was racism. In a special report published this week, John Prideau, our United States editor, examines the role of race in America. In researching it, he drew on various sources. Some were optimistic, such as The Upswing, a book by Robert Putnam and Shailen Romney Garrett. It contends that while America is suffering from alarming levels of inequality, its future could become more egalitarian. Our Washington correspondent reviewed the book last year. Other work considered discrimination among those who enforce the law, and programs to reduce that. John looked at a paper on implicit bias in policing by academics at the University of California, Berkeley. Our digital editor recommends reading The Sum of Us, a book by Heather McGee, which explains why racist policies harm everyone, of any race. America's demographics are also shifting. More than a tenth of babies born in the country are mixed race. White racial identity, once all but invisible, is increasingly under the microscope. In the third chapter of the report, he consulted White Identity Politics, a book by Ashley Jardina at Duke University. America has been a testing ground for a huge democratic experiment in multiracial politics. For it to work, the first thing is to understand why it was Mr Chauvin's knee that was on Mr Floyd's throat, not the other way around. Read the seven-part special report and email the author at jpredot at economist.com. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Elizabeth Fry, who was born on this day in 1780. When thee builds a prison, thee had better build with the thought ever in thy mind that thee and thy children may occupy the cells. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 